Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we uh, we unveiled a a new segment. We have we have a, a bunch of rotating segments that we do at the top of the of the show. We call them our Marin Open. Yeah. In honor of Mark Marin, who invented the navel gazing part of podcasting. <laughs> uh, we say that with respect, though, right? Yeah, it's always a self indulgent part of the show, but this is probably the self self indulgentest part we've ever come up with. Sure is. It's uh, uh, the always doing bits segment. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. It's a Marin Open that's sweeping the nation. Ben, people love what we do here. <laughs> yeah. People asking for it by name. When we were out on tour, Adam, and uh, perhaps this is actually a good setup for one that I wanted to tell you about, because when we were out on tour, like I think we were in Chicago, the concept of this segment came up uh, while we were on stage and people just spontaneously broke into yeah. uh, into song singing the drop that you made for this segment <laughs> uh, which was I, you know like I, I don't think we saw that much uh, feedback about it online yeah. maybe a little bit but uh, the idea that that a room full of people were were super there for <laughs> for this segment was exciting, yeah. and uh, you were like desperate to get to give them the satisfaction of playing the bit, uh, the bits drop from the stage from your phone, and you were like looking around in our in our shared Dropbox folder trying to find the audio. It was nowhere to be found while we were on stage, and and while you were looking for that, I shared a bit with the house that uh, uh, you, you later told me you were so distracted by looking in the Dropbox app that you didn't actually register what my bit was. I was so infuriated on stage, like, <laughs> I'm not an idiot with computers or smartphones or whatever, but this Dropbox app, like, I hit it to organize by by created, which floats uh -huh. all the new stuff to the top, uh, but anything that's in a folder, like, regardless of when it was created, is crammed down to the bottom, and so it was totally baffling how I had organized this long list of of drops and yet I wasn't able to find it. I didn't, if only I had, had swept down to the bottom, I would have seen it. Uh, well, <laughs> do you want to hear the thing that I said to that crowd in Chicago? I really do. That, uh, okay. So uh, I was talking about the fact that I had a, a recent birthday and uh, my wife took me out to a nice white tablecloth restaurant for dinner on my birthday. And, uh, there's a part of the, uh, you know, like after they've taken the plates, but before the uh, the uh, scoop of vanilla ice cream with the birthday candle in it comes out, where uh, the server comes around and uh, and scrapes all the crumbs off your table. And sometimes you see you see in some restaurants they have like a cr like a specialized crumb scraper. It's like a a piece of metal that is like slightly slightly curved, like a like the tape in a in a measuring tape. 
And ben, it's like I've never perp- been to a restaurant with a crumb scraper. I, I've only been to a restaurant where they like take a lint roller out and use that as the <laughs> as the crumb scraper. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. Well, it's there. There is a thing. I have seen this before, but uh, this this restaurant we were at did not have that. They just used a big spoon uh, to clean all the all the crumbs off of our table. And this is maybe more of a problem for me because I'm a messy eater. Maybe that's why you haven't encountered this in the wild too many times. <laughs> <laughs> but the the server came around to scrape all the crumbs off of our tablecloth, and I said, uh, "Oh, uh, can we take those to go?" Spits, spits, spits. No matter what. So, <laughs> the second it left my mouth, I was immediately reminded of like my super hack bits that I used to do when I was a busboy, right? At a at a restaurant, and so she came back around, and I said, "I have to apologize for my like." My quippy little joke earlier. I'm sure you hear that 25 times a night. And she said, honestly, that is the first time I've ever heard that. And I thought it was pretty funny. I only acted like I've heard that 25 times in a night. <laughs> and, that, and that's like the puzzle, right? Is like the the problem with doing bits, especially on somebody that works for tips, is that you, you basically have them under duress, you know? Yeah, like I mean... Doing, Doing a dad joke at somebody like that is basically daring them not to laugh at your dumb joke. And and I don't want to be that guy. But it's a compulsion. Ben, I, uh, I'm shocked that you, having had restaurant industry experience, would continue <laughs> to subject restaurant workers to your bits. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think that part of the subtext of this segment is that you and I have gone a long way toward ruining each other for the rest of society. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And when you're not around for me or I'm not around for you, unfortunately, there's collateral damage, collateral bit damage, (laughs) as it were. Ben, my moment of bad bits happened also in a restaurant. Uh-huh. I was out with a friend I hadn't seen in a long time lately, and we were catching up at one of the one of the great Japanese restaurants in Seattle. And this is a place that that specializes in in soba noodles. Uh huh. It's great, great, great place. Are you gonna name check it? Or are you gonna like let people just look through the phone book? I'm gonna let people look through the phone book. I've, I'm I'm tired of having my pronunciations explained to me. Uh, on social media so forget it you don't want to get recognized by other friends of DeSoto who are there every time you go from here on in so the deal with the soba noodles is that you can have them uh, in the bowl like in the bowl Mm. of broth or you can you can have broth on the side and and do some dunking like a tsukumen style like tsukumen style yeah exactly so I, I chose to take them like that because this place is known for their great noodles. I wanted to try some noodles without adornment at all. You wanted them uh, the way uh, the way the Japanese refer to them as al dente. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to make a ramen here. <laughs> so what's great about uh, my favorite ramen restaurants do this. Uh, whether or not you take your noodles in the broth or not is like if you've eaten all the noodles, they will often either give you more noodles or like give you something else to either finish the broth or finish more noodles. Like this is a thing that that's happened to us. Like you, you go eat all the ramen noodles out of the broth. They'll give you more noodles if you want them. In this case, was 1000 calories from carbohydrates not enough for you? How about another thousand? I really love that. 
So at this place, <laughs> uh, I had eaten all of my noodles and and left a large portion of broth. And what they don't offer at this place is more noodles. Instead, they offer to fill your your broth bowl with with pasta water, with noodle water. Whoa! Uh, because the dipping broth is so concentrated that it's it's too strong to just sip like like soup broth. You can't take it to the dome. And a very nice server came over and told me this is what is frequently done. And I said, oh, that's great. And so there's like a little teapot full of the broth, full of the uh, the pasta water. And she she pours it in and like and like many servers, does the just say when. And I said, okay. And then I proceed to lock eyes with her and not look at the bowl <laughs> that she's pouring in. All I do is it's, it's, it's. No matter what. The entire time, I don't know how much water's going into the broth bowl, and I'm just like <laughs> doing a bit, like a visual bit on her. <laughs> My friend who was with me sees me do this and is like, what are you doing? <laughs> and totally like chops the knees out of the bit in such a way that it turned it into what could have been funny. Like yeah. one, one of my favorite things ever it had a very formative impact on me. It was like I used to watch a lot of Police Squad, Police Squad, the television show. And one of the <clears> things that they would do at the very end of it was like do a fake freeze frame. And often right. these freeze frames would involve someone pouring coffee into someone else's coffee cup. <laughs> right. Uh, the coffee would overflow onto the floor. The credits would still roll. Like they're blinking, like they're trying to yeah. hold the coffee, like that. And so I was like Police Squadding my server. And what happens when your police squad is interrupted by someone who isn't familiar with police squad is that you just end up looking like a fucking creep staring at your server while she fills your soba broth bowl with pasta water. Did she like the other hand that wasn't holding the kettle do like finger gun and go police squad? Nice. I was I was deeply ashamed during this moment. Uh, it was a it was a bit that exploded on the launch pad, and like yeah. didn't even didn't even leave the launch pad. Just sort of tilted and fell. <laughs> you know that kind of space explosion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very familiar. I'm surprised and saddened that both of our bits occurred in a restaurant context. I'm yeah. I'm almost. I'm almost inclined to add a fifth greatest gen rule which is like oh wow no bits on tips like yeah. as, as a shorthand for uh, for doing bits on people in the service industry i'm kind of feeling a reluctance yeah. to do that those are the interactions where this kind of scenario is most likely to happen and maybe by creating this segment we have inadvertently opened the floodgates of our own bits on members of the service industry, which is certainly not what I am uh, here to advocate for. So I, I like that rule. I think that there's a little bit of a difference when a tip is not on the line. Right. Because like, if you walk into a store and do a bit and like, it doesn't, it's not going to make that person's week or whatever one way or the other. That's a totally different situ situation. And like, I would say that the uh, the bit that I wanted to share, uh, the other bit that I wanted to share today is an example of that. This is a bit on tip the right way? This is a bit off tip. Okay. We're both dog owners. We, uh, we know that dogs like chewing on things, and specifically dogs like chewing on bully sticks, which are dried, uh, <laughs> dried sticks that are made from bull pizzle. 
which is uh, the polite way of saying that dick. Snoop Dogg might think that they're made of bull piss. All I do is bit, bit, bit. He would be wrong. Yeah. There's a little extra uh, bit in there for you, Ben. Yeah, that's that's great. You're always doing bits. <laughs> I walked into a a pet store one time and just went right up to the counter where these are dispensed because the other thing about bully sticks is they're they're fairly costly. Like a a package of them can cost like 11 or 12 bucks, but they're like like my dog is clearly so gleefully happy when he gets one that this is a luxury item that I like to afford him from time to time. He's thrilled to in- catch a dick. Yeah. And I, I was walking around with a friend, so uh, this was mostly a bit for his benefit, uh-huh. but I walked into this pet store and I just uh, plunked like a $10 bill down on the counter and said, four bull penises, please. And uh, the lady working the counter just bent double with laughter. She thought that was so funny. <laughs> like, what? Because people dance around what it is all the time, you know, and uh, and just like breaking the tension in the opening volley i think was like such a surprise to her that uh yeah that she she found it delightful all i do is bits 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 no matter what that is a delight and it was great because like i was there with my buddy and he was also like there to to yes and the joke of the situation and he and i and the lady working the counter just like we did bits for like two minutes and and laughed our butts off you know the thing about your bits like, your bits always do better than I would imagine. They're really working. They don't. They, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to put it, I, I think I write them down when I remember them working because it's like a, it's like a big poker win or whatever. Yeah. You're, you're not as shameful about these uh, confessions as I might have predicted. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I brought that one up specifically to cite it as an example of a time that it wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. But uh, but I I I want to be I want to be clear. We're <laughs> this segment is about us being embarrassed about ourselves. Do as as we say, not as we do. I would still <laughs> discourage people from doing bits on those in the service industry, uh, if for no other reason than to allow Ben and I more opportunities <laughs> to do the same. Indeed, Adam. Well, uh, do you want to get into the uh, the meat of this? Uh, episode of the greatest generation maybe the heart of this episode of the greatest generation mm. yeah i like it yeah let's do it it's uh deep space <laughs> nine season three episode 14 heart of stone can't leave any bit undone all i do is bits 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 no matter what but, do you realize how incredible this is <laughs> no of course you don't. This is just a shitload of split diopter in the runabout. I almost feel like uh, they rig the runabout scenes for this, and then they just leave the lens like on the dash <laughs> for for the crew to use next time. I, I feel like they're doing this uh, fairly often in the runabout, and I think it's nice. It's not that easy to see because this is SD. And like, there's some examples in TNG where a shot is clearly like the the focus is close enough from the foreground to the background that we're not even going to do a split diopter. Yeah. But I kind of thought some of these shots, like if it was Kira talking to Odo, uh, Mr. Bucket. when Odo is, you know, it's over the shoulder on Kira and on Odo's face, I kind of felt like the focus might be landing on like the instrument panel behind him mm. and like... 
he's not quite in focus while Kira's ear is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they both really fill the frame here, too, Mm -hmm. whatever side of the conversation you're cutting from and to. Yeah. They're having one of those conversations that I think we're both probably familiar with where you're chatting away and kind of blithely uh, talking about your day and then you you turn and realize that your partner has been quite cross with you the entire time and you're only now becoming aware of that fact (laughs) yeah and especially when it's so innocent like it's such an innocent bear trap to wander into right like yeah kira does what she believes is a solid for odo in rsvping a dinner invitation which in this context does not mean death is on the line <laughs> for anyone uh, no it's uh, it's actually for respondez-vous s'il vous plaît right i mean sometimes close friends and those in relationships with each other will answer for the other because that is their level of of closeness to one another yeah. and so kira is making the case that like i knew you'd hate this thing i went ahead and said no you wanted to go to the governor's house for dinner not particularly well, then what's the problem? Odo takes great umbrage with this. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the opposite of uh, how I would typically feel in this context, which is like, wait, you got us out of a social obligation? You're the best. He is like, hey, uh, I wasn't consulted, and I don't like the fact that you just assume my mind state. Like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have wanted to go, but I also don't want to be treated with the disrespect of the assumption that I don't want to do anything. Yeah. And Kira's like, hey, I don't know if you have a butt even, but what's up your butt? (laughs) I could put whatever I want up there. (laughs) I could grow twice this size and put a truck up my butt. I could put this entire runabout in there. You wouldn't even know. You'd be sitting there talking about your shit. You would be totally ignorant to the fact that I had an entire runabout in my butt, and I think that's the problem. I mean, this is how two people who are very fond of each other argue, though. They argue about assumptions and misunderstandings instead of arguing about, like, deeper, more important matters. Right. They're sort of uh, argument interruptus, though, because as they're... As they're kind of like building toward not being pissed at each other, they get a distress beep, and it uh, is a transmission from a Lesepian supply ship that is getting attacked by the Maquis. Maquis? I mean, this is a quintessential Star Trek beginning of episode, because it's like, we're on our way to do something, we better whip the cop car around. Well, they're on uh, their way home from something, they're on their way home from a conference. Like, it is even more quintessential than even that. You yeah. Know? Yeah, but, but why uh, not? But, why not put that off and go exploring? But weird because this is two non-Starfleets, and it's a piece of Starfleet materiel that they use to uh, to fly off to uh, to pursue the Maquis. As a first officer, I guess you have the latitude to do that. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I think it's uh, it's cool that Kira and Odo can can kind of self-direct in this way when using Starfleet equipment. I mean, I, th- I think that says something pretty interesting about the uh, level of trust that they have been extended and also what the nature of the relationship is between the Federation and Bajor. This is the second reference to an area of space called the Badlands. 
Mm. And this is an area of space that is uh, pretty foundational for another Star Trek series that is spooling up around this moment in time when when this DS9 episode has dropped. So I thought that yeah, was it's interesting. The, uh, it's the part of the Star Trek universe that uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek live in. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that <laughs> reference. That's an Adam percenter. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I wish I was known for this Adam face. Just the <laughs> the Adam face of recognition. Yeah. Oh, film school movie. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to watch that ever again. Nope. <laughs> kind of boring, but also beautiful. Yeah. Um they uh they warp off and that's our that's our smash to to opening credits. And uh, we come back, and they're kind of uh, they're following this ship. It's uh, it's gone into orbit around a moon in orbit of a gas giant, and uh, it's it's trying to evade them by going like landing on a uh, on on a moon that has like pretty nasty electrostatic interference of some kind, where their their sensors sort of stop being useful. It's one of the great teases of like we're just going to have to go in in the runabout. There's yeah. no there's no beaming in or beaming out here. Let's take it to Ew. the surface. Yeah, let's put on our uh, spacesuits with handles on the front and get down there. <laughs> we cut back to DS9 where we are given Nog again for two straight yeah. episodes. It's the Nog show. Kind of feel like he's taken the place of Quark at, at this moment in time. Yeah, a little bit. I thought it was interesting that O'Brien is kind of working as Cisco's receptionist in this mm. scene. Yeah. It's not a good look like, for him. Like, he's wrenching on the station, but also screening Cisco's phone calls. And I wonder if uh, O'Brien is like on, on some kind of punishment at the moment. O'Brien, if he is a receptionist, is not doing a great job because he allows Nog into the office while he's carrying a an item of unknown or of unknown origin in a sack. Yeah. Like, like is there any reason for us to trust Nog? No. Alone with Cisco, especially. That is a, a super suspicious-looking parcel that he is clutching to his chest. It looks yeah. like a. It looks like it could be like a satchel charge or something. Yeah, yeah. But Nog has really put on his uh, his Sunday best, his matching lampshade and uh, and jacket combination, and he comes in and uh, shoves this parcel across the desk at Cisco, who opens it up, and it is full of bars of gold press lat. While it isn't called a bribe, it's a bribe. It's like a ceremonial bribe, though, because what Nog starts to describe is having uh, having just had his confirmation at Ferengi Church, mm-hmm. which means he's now a man and uh, able to make his own choices. And the thing you do once you become a man is uh, is you go bribe somebody for an apprenticeship with your life savings. I want to be the first Ferengi in Starfleet. Who do I see about getting a uniform? Poor Nog doesn't know that Cisco's willing to grant him college credit for his unpaid internship. <laughs> so it looks like Nog is really overpaying here. Yeah, yeah. Usually an internship is something that you don't get paid for. You don't have to pay for it out of your own pocket. Yeah, it's very confusing for him. Yeah. Well, Ben Cisco's a little bit suspicious of this scene. And, you know, he does that. He does a professional no, which I think is great. Like, instead of a social no, like, 
Nag wants a favor. He wants the favor of Cisco's apprenticeship and maybe a letter of recommendation so he can join Starfleet. Cisco demurs professionally. He's like, "Yeah, you're not a member. Like the Ferengi are not a member of Starfleet, and so it requires this extra bit of thing. And also, I'm not inclined to give that to you because, like, of your reputation. You're 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 the bad boy of Deep Space Nine, and I don't <laughs> want this latinum. Yeah, yeah, that's just latinum on the table. Like, it's an interesting turn after last episode, right? Because. Cisco kind of came to Nug's defense in that episode. and Yeah, he sure did. In this scene, he puts the wall right back up. Where do I sign up? It's not that simple. The inciting incident for Nog's story is a thing that happens a lot in Deep Space Nine and in Star Trek in general, which is there's one bit of drama where there could be two, right? Because it's a little strange that Nog wants to join Starfleet. That's a huge surprise. Mm-hmm. But wanting a human to be... Wanting to apprentice for a human should double that down a little bit, and that's never regarded as as a scandalous act by Nog. Right. Where it where it could serve to to double that drama is what I'm saying. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I also thought it was kind of interesting, like Jake has already expressed some misgivings about the idea of following in his father's footsteps. And uh I think that this is fun. Like it's Star Trek kind of for the first time showing a young person who actually does want to be in Starfleet. Like, yeah. Like Wesley Crusher always repped wanting to be in Starfleet, but uh, as he as he went through the, the motions, became increasingly disillusioned with it as a path in life. And Nog shows no sign of having the potential for that. Yeah, and like the, the latinum lays pregnant on the table... Like, and it doesn't look like a small amount either. It seems problematic that eth- uh, that ethically, Cisco allows Nog to walk out without it. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, my wife was uh, as an attorney and has had some jobs in government. If somebody came into her office and like plunked cash down on the table, she would like make sure that that person was in custody and also the cash was not left in her office before you know anything was you know left ambiguous the easiest uh, thing to do would be to get a witness like o'brien needs to remain in the room here right and Uh, because o'brien is great at making o'brien face i think he'd be a great foil for what's happening oh that would have been so fun right but instead cisco uh is persuaded to hang on to the latinum and i guess maybe this is something about how uh, how deep in space Deep Space Nine is. Maybe they just don't feel like they are under the watchful eye of Starfleet enough to mm-hmm. need to play it to the letter every single time. He can say like, well, he'll leave that there and I'll tie the satchel up and next time I see him, I'll, I'll toss it at his chest. Yeah, that's going to hurt though. Like like being beat with a sock full of soap. <laughs> Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So... So back on the moon crash playset, Kira and Odo explore these caves, and and uh, it's not great down there because they're getting seismic bangers dropped yeah, on them. They've uh, wetted up the walls of the Star Trek caves, which is uh, yeah. which is fun to see. I feel like we haven't seen the these Star Trek caves this wet since that episode where uh, Worf and Doctor Crusher and Captain Picard were like in their ninja costumes running around until. Picard found out that there were four lights. That's right. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, they they uh, they make the classic horror movie foible of deciding to split up. I don't understand why Odo doesn't split himself up. Oh shit! Yeah, could Odo have a couple of like eleven-year-old uh, boy-looking Odos run around? Or six one-foot-tall Odos, and one of them rides on Kira's shoulder like a parrot. Would you rather Why fight this a thing? one horse-sized Odo or a hundred duck-sized Odos? Maybe you just uh, put a little bit of Odo in your hand, uh, mm-hmm. work it into your hair, and get a little more volume, Kira. <laughs> what do you think you, about that? You think she should have a something about Mary's spiked forelock? All I'm saying is I'm missing the volume. I don't think we're ever going to agree on this, man. I just really love the new haircut. Wow. I'm head over heels for the new haircut. (laughs) Just very supportive of the new haircut. Yeah. See, you're a a smart man. Whenever you're asked about a lady's haircut, always answer in the affirmative. Extremely positive response to new haircut. Yes, always. No matter what. When I first started dating my wife, the first time she uh, she came back from something with a new haircut, she like waited for me to say something about it, and I did not. And uh, th- you know, partly this is just because I didn't notice that there was anything different, but uh, it established very early on that I was not going to notice most of the time if she had a new haircut. And so there's no expectation that I would notice that she has a new haircut. Can I just turn to the camera and say something right now? <laughs> when one uh, person... No, 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 that's the, the, the one with the red light on top. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, here. When one person waits for the other person to notice a thing, that's a game. Yeah. And games are not cool to do in relationships, okay? Yeah. Don't do bits in your own relationship. Yeah, save it. Save that for the service industry. <laughs> Where they belong. Yeah, yeah. Uh I'll have the uh, I'll have the the chicken fried steak and also do these jeans make my butt look big? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so cruel. So fucking cruel. What happens when you split up? In a horror film, Ben, is that one of the two gets killed, and in Star Trek, one of the two steps into a bear trap. Yeah. And that's what happened to Kira. She's She's got her foot stuck in a crystal bear trap, a crystal bear trap that is that is growing, actually. Yeah, the, uh, like, Odo reaches out and touches it, and it's a pretty cool special effect here, I want to say. The bear trap grows, and uh, it seemed like maybe she could have slipped her foot out of her boot at first, but now not. Right. It's post growth. Post growth, it's just too big. Like there's no way to flex the foot and uh, and turn that corner. And yeah, they're like uh, they're pretty concerned about this because there's just no there's no getting out. I mean, after after he fails to break it apart by smashing a rock against it, she suggests the idea of shooting her foot out of it with a phaser, and mm. uh, that uh, backfires in a big way. Right. It causes this crystal to grow quite a bit and in case like up to her mid calf. It's pretty scary, but Kira's got a brave face. She does. She's laughing. He's like uh <laughs> he's like, "Hey, uh I don't know where you are, but I'm kind of seeing this as a major emergency." It's pretty ridiculous, don't you think? And she's like, "You know, like we're going to figure something out. This is Star Trek. There's never like somebody doesn't die from stepping on a crystal." 
How do you feel about this tone? Um, I like it. I think that, you know, Kira is a character that we have sort of, you know, the, the blind man describing the elephant. We've had a lot of different opportunities to hear about different aspects of her past, but get the sense that she's really been through some shit so the danger of this is very evident to her but she's also been very you know she's been close to danger i think that one weird part of modern life in relatively safe western countries is that a lot of people are like never anywhere near danger and therefore like have a a deep misunderstanding of what is and is not dangerous that mm. people who go into danger or live in dangerous places have a very different sense than what you might imagine if you live in a very safe place and have a, a safe, have had a safe life, you know? That's a pretty interesting take with respect to Kira. Like, it's sort of understandable how, like, she's wearing a big cast and it's on an alien planet. Like, goofy, right. huh? We'll, uh, we'll stick a shovel under this thing eventually. Like, uh, yeah. something will work out. This is the part of the episode where I feel like the script does a bunch of carriage returns. And, like, I want to talk a little bit about this because, like, there is a technique you use to hasten the pace of an episode mm-hmm. that works for raising tension. And a lot of cross-cutting back and forth can occasionally do that. But in this episode and the episode that came before, I feel like... The scenes are so short and the cuts in between them are so abrupt that I feel like we're doing neither story any favors by their multiplication. You know, I want to live in these places a little longer, especially like we get so little of Kira going through this. We get so little of Kira alone, especially that I really wish that there was more of that. But but before we are able to live in any moment, we're on we're back on DS9. Yeah. I think that's true. I think, um, to me, like, this show has occasionally gotten a little distracted with Ferengi hijinks, Mm -hmm. and these two episodes are maybe, like, high-level examples of that, where the Ferengi B-plot is fun and good, uh, but also, like, they clang a little bit with the A storylines. Yeah. And I think that there have been times where... The Ferengi hijinks B B plot line has been just bad full stop. But uh, at least this one is like kind of compelling and interesting, you know? They have learned how to make the Ferengi not a clown show. Right. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. It seems like uh, in spite of all of Quark's criminality, they've, uh, they've found a way to make him an interesting character that isn't just constantly selling everybody out and doing horrible shit. And for that, I'm grateful. I think this would be a terrible show if that's primarily what the Ferengi did. Yeah. We also get to see Rom in this episode for the first time in, I feel like, an age. Like, has he even been on this season? It's hard to remember. I mean, if he has, it hasn't been significant. Rom is rebuilding. It's kind of like... a. Like when I walk by the auto parts store in my neighborhood and there's always a guy with like a Tercel parked on the on the street in front of it that's like rebuilding the engine on the sidewalk. It's kind of uh, 
what Rom is up to. He's got the uh, the guts of Quark's replicator pulled out of the wall, and uh, he and Nog are working hard and getting this thing back in working condition. Is it fixed yet? Oh, not yet, brother. What's taking so long? We're working as fast as we can. Uh, it seems like Quark has not exactly been following the routine maintenance stipulations in the owner's manual for this replicator. You might think this scene does nothing. Like, this is a pretty deft way to position this moment because it just seems like kind of a throwaway scene that actually has some deeper meaning at the end. Right. And I don't think that we've seen this side of Ram necessarily. The the idea that he's like the hapless younger brother of Quark who doesn't have that boss status and, and uh, gets into trouble a bunch is well established. But the idea that he has a role in the bar that Quark can't do yeah. is pretty interesting. He's uh, he is the he's the handyman. He fixes the things when they break and there's a lot of things in Quark's bar that are technically complicated and need to be maintained and overseen. Jake thought Nog was joking about joining Starfleet, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, Jake That's uh, tough when one person thinks the other person was joking and they weren't. That's yeah. that's a that's a sick burn. Oh, you you were serious about asking Alyssa out? Fuck, dude. If I'd known, yeah. I wouldn't have asked her out myself. Nog has the Alyssa problem. Yeah. For sure here. Because uh, Jake comes in like as this uh, replicator fix is going on, and he's like, Haha, my dad was telling me about that bit you were trying on him. That's a good bit. <laughs> You're always doing bits, Nog. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. But to your credit, Nog, you also tip really well. Like, you left that huge sack of latinum on his desk. That was nice of you. Two eps in a row where we're given a Jake Nog storyline where I thought they were better friends than this. They seem to be more acquaintances. Really? Yeah. I, I wonder about friendships sometimes because I tend, to, <laughs> I tend to form very, like, deep friendships with people. Oh, yeah. The, the deepest. I have lots of friends who, like, I, I see their their social scene, and they have, like, a million friends, and I'm like, how do you do what I do with you with all of these people? <laughs> well, the answer is they don't. Yeah, exactly. Because you go deep, Ben. But Jake and Nog are, like, besties from all outward appearances, and also don't have a lot of other kids their age to to hang around with and have have, you know healthy adult friendly relationships that aren't like super deep and intense the way all of my relationships appear to have to be right i i really envy people that can do just like i'm friends with that person and like full stop you know it's not i'm friends with that person and also like i started a podcast with them and now i'm in business with them (laughs) (laughs) it's all you know how to do i yeah it's i I'm saying You're not that friends I, with anyone you don't have podcasts with. Right. And I'm saying that's a big problem <laughs> in my life. It is life. a big problem. <laughs> you clearly need more podcasts so you can get more friends. I do. I have no friends. Back on the moon, Odo is inside the Mekon. Uh, tinkering around trying to get uh, the ship to beam Kira out of the caves. And the computer's telling him it's not possible for a variety of Star Trek reasons. It's not only possible not to beam her out, it's not possible to send a distress signal, uh, it is possible to send a probe. Yeah. So that's what he does. 
It's one of those fun side effects of the runabout era of Star Trek, which is like, this would all be like Jordy and Data and maybe O'Brien, like talking about what's possible in this situation, like doing techno exposition. And instead, Odo has to have this conversation with Siri. Is there any way to achieve a transporter lock in this kind of ionization field? Here's what I found on the web for is there any way to achieve transporter like in this kind of annexation field? (sighs) It's a version of that that I thought, like, it's so weird to see Odo triage the situation by asking a bunch of questions before finally going, how should I solve this problem? And it seems like that might be the first question to ask, which is a question he finally ends up asking, which is like, if you were in in these circumstances, what would you do to get a message out? And the probe ends up being the answer. Computer, I know we uh, don't get along all the time, but like, I really need some help in this situation. (laughs) Computer, I have 40 seconds of of time to take up in this episode, so I'm going to need to go back and forth with you a little bit to fill time. We need to get to that commercial break. Yeah. Uh, We get a fun probe launch moment here. That's a fun sound. Probe launch confirmed. We can feel and hear it leaving the hull of the ship, which is presumably just like sitting on the surface of this asteroid. And then Odo is back down in the caves and he uh, has to come running because he hears some uh, shots getting licked in the atmosphere. It should be Starfleet policy to drop the probe before you take your runabout to the surface, right? Yeah, I thought a lot about that. Like, they, before they enter the interference of this moon in orbit of a gas giant, they did not think to, like, give an update on their position or, you know, you know, when you, when you go, like, uh, when you go on, like, a multi day hike in a national park, you're supposed to, like, leave your, your hiking plan at the ranger station before you do it. So if you get lost, like, they know to go look for you. I mean, they should be designing these runabouts so that the saucer section can separate from the, <laughs> the drive section. That way, there's, al- there's always something in orbit waiting for you. Yeah. But uh, when he comes back to Kira, she has been in a firefight. Uh, the Mequis is also running around in these Star Trek caves, and he came out, and uh, they kind of had like a uh, Scooby-Doo bumping into the ghost moment where uh, they they were both terrified, and he shot at her, and she shot at him. There's phaser holes in the walls to prove it, and uh, I thought it was interesting that Odo didn't immediately run after this dude. She's like, he went down that tunnel, and like we just heard the sound. But yeah. instead of, like, pursuing the guy, he just hangs out and we fade to commercial. What are you doing, Odo? He can stay with Kira and chase him. That's the thing. Like, he could throw a hand, <laughs> like, 40 feet down a cave. Like, like yeah. he, can, he can stretch. Run down there, dude. You can be in two places at once. You can be in 10 places at once. <laughs> I have a real problem with this. But he remains with Kira, and that's going to be a, a theme throughout. It's an episode where we see Odo turn himself into a, a jumbo-sized tent to prevent yeah. rocks from falling on Kira. We've yeah. seen rocks fall on Odo and him be hurt because of it. Yeah. Yeah. In these very caves, in the same <laughs> playset. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So, in this episode, I'm I'm fine? <laughs> I... It, it, what are the rules here? I, I just want to know, is this something I learned when I went and <laughs> forearm fucked that lady on my home world? 
<laughs> it sure didn't seem like the lesson from that scene was that I should be using protection. <laughs> I mean, I suggested it at, at first, and she said, no, it feels so much better without. <laughs> and I was like, damn, girl, you're off the hook. This episode does a thing that we love about submarine movies, right? When the water floods your compartment, uh, the water level rises and you're running out of air. This is sort of a thing that's happening to Kira in this scene, except it's not water, it's this rock. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's done slowly. Like, the rising tension of the scene is physically represented by the increasing size of this rock. Every time they cut back, it's a little bit bigger. It's uh, It's taken up more of her body, and that's pretty fun. Yeah. But not so fun that we can't uh, play the slide whistle a little bit, right? Yeah, would you like it to be more fun, Ben? Almost <laughs> excruciatingly fun? There's a fun little moment where Cisco and Bashir are just walking around and they're talking about how a male ensign of some alien race is like about to have babies. He's got, uh, he's, I don't know, he's pupating or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Bashir and O'Brien are throwing him a baby shower. Garrick is making baby clothes. Uh, Cisco you think they're like, going to have a pew puppet show at that <laughs> oh God. party? No? No? No. I'm looking at the judges' table, and I'm seeing some nods. Yeah, that's the Russian judge. You really want that guy's <laughs> approval? <laughs> that guy's bought and paid for, Adam, by you. In Soviet Russia, metamorphosis humor, very funny. <laughs> Cisco does that thing where he's like, well, I don't want to like think about, you know, go through the emotional journey of thinking of a good gift for somebody. So I'm just going to pay for half of whatever you get. Count me in. I sir. Ensign Prime. Hmm? Yeah, that's not a good move, Cisco. Cisco, who has a sack full of latinum and could potentially afford anything in the gift shop. Yeah, I mean, like, I will admit to having pulled this move several times in my life, specifically in the case of, like, my mom telling me something my dad really wants and she already bought it. And I'm like, well, that's so much better than anything I would think of for my dad because my dad is very hard to buy a gift for. What if I paid for half of it, you know? Also, if you're like a degree of separation from someone, it might be weird if you got them a super thoughtful gift and and you didn't really know them that well. Like that's right. a circumstance where you'd want to go in on a gift with some people who do. Yeah, Ensign Pran is like sitting there opening up gifts going, oh, that's so thoughtful. And then like Cisco's gift comes around and it's like a fucking arrow at the heart of Ensign Pran's <laughs> needs and wants. And Ensign yeah, Pran has to too turn- much. Turn to a man who is like three or four command levels above him and go like, how did you know? (laughs) I have a story germane to this. Yeah. So I went to high school with some people is not how I'd want to start that story. Uh, A girl I went to high school with that I liked quite a bit, but just as a friend, uh, like, I don't know how, I don't know when this starts after high school, but she was one of the first of my high school friends to get married. Uh And this is, this is a significant part of the story because This was a wedding that I was invited to but could not attend for some reason. And yet, you know, like there's a registry and there's there's gifts on the registry or there's often a part of the registry that's just like, hey, contribute to the honeymoon. Like that's that's a good thing to do. Yeah, we did it that way at my wedding. And uh, the only physical gift we got was a dear friend of ours who couldn't make it and his wife sent us a KitchenAid 
mixer, which is like one of the most classic wedding presents. But it was also Great something wedding. that I like really desperately wanted for such a long time. And it was like, I was so fucking glad that they sent it to me. It was like, I was like, yes, finally, yeah! I will finally make bread and sausage. Is that what you wrote in the thank you note? Mm-hmm. So uh, this girl is one of the first. And so this kind of puts a person into a bind, which is right. like, I'm not going. And so my not going has, has like, has encouraged me to maybe be more generous than I might be if I weren't. Like, for whatever reason, like, I had not gone to many weddings. I don't know what to do. Yeah, we and hadn't so, learned the rules yet uh, in those early weddings. And so I was like, I mean, I, I had a job. I think this was post-college, but very early post-college. And I was like, well, I mean, I I have a job. I don't know what the proper amount to give is. So I guess, I guess I'll give $150. Yeah. And this evidently was too much. <laughs> and I only heard about this later. Like, like, and I'm not, look, I want to be clear. I'm not bragging about giving a generous cash gift to a friend. Like, that's not what the story is about. It's not, it's about, it's about your generosity being misplaced in a way that, uh, like friends of hers were like, so what was that about? Yeah. Like that was, that was extremely generous like are you trying to like what is the message that you're trying to send like you must be saying something if you're being that generous yeah and so like i it was an immediate like i didn't i i didn't know i i don't know what the right number is and i and i still don't in in many ways but like that when we're talking about like gifts you give for people that you sort of know <laughs> and not really knowing how overboard to be, like I think I think Cisco's being smart as the commander of the station, maybe stepping away from this a little bit and and leaving it up to someone else to decide. Cisco runs into Nog and uh, Nog is like, "Hey, listen, like I know that Jake has been talking a lot of shit about how I'm not serious about this. Let me disabuse you of this. I fucking <laughs> am. Like, do something." Like, like, put me through my paces. Let me prove it to you, man. Just give me a chance. It's a fun thought experiment. Like, if someone wanted to prove themselves to you as worthy of Starfleet, what do you have them do? Right, like, and I would have thought that Cisco, having now memorized the rules of acquisition, would have given Nog something that isn't the Starfleet test on easy mode. Yeah. He throws it right in the strike zone. He gives Nog the job of inventory a cargo bay and like he talks to dax about this like hey like what about cargo bay four or whatever and she's like we just inventoried it uh we don't really need it inventoried again and he said i i want knock to do it i just want to see what he comes up with and uh she kind of pushes back she's like this guy is like kind of a criminal element on the station are we gonna really (laughs) like put him alone in a room with a bunch of valuable starfleet materiel yeah, it's a great point. But uh, Cisco's like, shut up, Dax. We're going to make him do an inventory. What are you doing now? Exactly. Back to the cave. Kira is now wearing a rock skirt. Uh, it's a, kind of up to waist level. Sort of an empire waist rock skirt. <laughs> Odo is like puzzling through like how do we solve for rock skirt? And he is uh you know, he's like 
tricordering it. If Rockscur and... is N, what <laughs> what is what is V? Yeah, and um, it's kind of like I I like the way they've set this puzzle up, right? Like she is very vulnerable if the Mayquis comes back, so he can't really leave her without putting her in a good deal of danger. I love that she keeps carrying the phaser, though. That's fun. Yeah. There's no communications with anybody who can come and rescue them. Like, there's no O'Brien. There's no Jordy. you know? Like, nobody nobody can help Odo puzzle through this problem. It's a bit like the episode where Worf is caught in a time rift, and this is not a conundrum that plays to Worf's strength. The idea that Kira is caught in a in a science problem is not really Odo's metier. <laughs> I'm sorry, what does that mean? It's uh it's not it's not his area of expertise. That's not a thing that you put on a cracker. <laughs> Odo, luckily, uh may just have a Deuce X machina device in the runabout that could help this situation. A, uh, a vibrator, right? A band of Norsican raiders broke into their central museum by using a high-frequency ultrasonic generator to create a sympathetic vibration inside the webbing and shatter it. He's thinking, like, they must have something that they can use to resonate this crystal into into busting up. Starfleet has a proud history of using resonance frequencies to bust up large crystals, right? I guess so, yeah. The uh, the time that they killed a unique species in the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't seem to have that amount of care about the thing crawling up Kira's leg, though. Listen, killing crystalline entities is kind of Starfleet's stock and trade, so I'm going to go get the <laughs> crystalline entity killer from the runabout. <laughs> We keep one in every glove box. <laughs> so, like, we cross-cut back and forth a couple of times. There's Nog doing the inventory. There's Odo getting the machine up and running. There's Odo telling Kira a story having to do with O'Brien's interest in kayaking. Like, there's a lot of... When Timmy gets trapped in a well, he wants to hear a story, yeah. like, to keep him calm. And that's what Kira... Like, Kira's mask of, of calm aplomb has sort of slipped like she's truly scared at this point and right. she needs Odo to to make her feel better and the danger like who, of this situation is getting worse not better and that's yeah a big deal talk to me Odo helps pass the time the uh chief and I are supposed to go kayaking together we've heard a lot about Chief O'Brien's kayaking enthusiasm. It's really fun to picture Odo being a, like, it's kind of, it kind of describes them as having a pretty great friendship that I don't know that we've seen depicted on screen much. But also it's described as like, O'Brien has almost like, he keeps taking kayaking back after kayaking (laughs) kicks his ass every time. He can't come until he's kayaked. <laughs> he's like he like goes into the hollow suite and there's a kayak there and he says, "I wish I knew how to quit you." <laughs> I love the modesty of Odo saying like, "Yeah, the kayak program is very hard." As if Odo is not both Odo the kayak and the oar and <laughs> as if it were possible to capsize him ever. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't flip Odo over. He's just going to, he like, his body is going to pop through the other side. It's such a weird scene. And we also find out that O'Brien has been giving Odo, like, mystery novels to read. Like, they're best buds, apparently. All of a sudden, they're best buds. 
Yeah, I hate that this is happening off screen. That's not cool. I want to see that shit. I want to see friendships. Give us that as the B story. Just Odo. Odo's like, all right, I'm going to come back to this cave, but I got to go back. Uh, <laughs> O'Brien and I have a hollow sweet date and I don't want to miss it. You know, I read one of the reasons we're not seeing O'Brien much in the last few episodes is that he was in the middle of a contract dispute. And many Whoa. people thought that he was thinking of pivoting to movies because he had done quite a few up to this moment. It's yeah, it's an item that that uh, Calamini disputes the accuracy of. He says he was always into DS9 and would have stayed through the end regardless. But a little bit of what you read about DS9 around this season is that is that the reason for Calamini's like Calamini's either in an episode the entire time or he's like taking Nog into Cisco's quarters and that's all you see of him. Right. So uh, Odo turns himself into a rock umbrella, saves Kira in a demonstration of his of his goo skills. That's pretty fun. Yeah, but uh, it's like, um, you know, that episode where Picard is describing how how deep in shit they are to Riker by just like showing his hand at different levels on his body. Right. Kira is now in like, basically, we have broken the prime directive level. It, it, right. She she is rock up to her neck, and yeah. she's pretty despondent at this point. Nana Visitor is an actor uniquely suited for this, and I wonder how much of this is real because she's known for being claustrophobic, and so I wonder how much of this reads as real because it is. I wonder, yeah. I mean, I I wonder if this triggers that, given that it's probably just like a rubber rock that she's able to like step into and step out of. Yeah, I wonder if there's even a backside to this thing, to be honest. Yeah, they, they, they definitely don't reveal anything that would betray it being just a yeah. fake rock. But there's a couple of moments where they cut in close on her face and and the rubberiness of it is is betrayed a little bit. Not a great rock, you guys. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the rock design department failed a, a little bit here. Yeah. But um, despite that, like the... the motion effects on it are really good like every time it grows it's like wow that, that looked pretty good i mean they deploy cutaways and cutbacks that help like they don't have to lean too much on the effect which is good yeah that's that helps you know uh, what is a great success ben is is nog's inventory of the cargo bay yeah. which he did in five hours he did it in five hours and he did it better than the people that did it before him if you're asking if he stole anything the answer is no he even found some things we missed on our last inventory. It's really a credit to his his dedication. And Cisco and Dax are like having having some fruit salads with each other and mm -hmm. uh, really super duper impressed with what he did. Is that a euphemism or were they actually having fruit salad? Yeah. They, did you not see that? They have like sushi plates with bananas and grapefruits cut up on them. You know, sometimes after a good shower, uh, introducing some fruit salad to the situation can be fun. <laughs> I don't know. I try to keep food away from my uh, business meetings about whether a, a potential recruit is good. Ben, missed opportunity here to either show us, to, to reveal that Nog is either truly great at doing inventory or he cheated or whatever. Like the fact that the inventory was done is the thing but I wish we knew the truth of it. I think the point is that, you know, he's uh, he's good with numbers. Like, this is... Yeah, the, like, there's no evidence that he cheated, and Dax makes that pretty clear. Right, it's a change-up in the strike zone. Like, he's fucking... He, he fucking 
got a task that particularly played to his strengths. And, uh, you know, while uh, we have talked a little bit about how the cut back and forths are not great in this episode, we now cut to a, a fairly protracted scene with Kira and Odo in the Star Trek cave where uh, we get to see them interact for, for quite a while. And it's up to the neck rock. She is just looking for comfort at this point. They've uh, sort of despaired of the idea of saving her now. Yeah. And uh, and they start to have like a pretty intense interaction here. And like Odo is trying to cheer her up by telling her a story about how uh, his name means nothing in Cardassian and how the, uh, you know, how it was applied to his like sample jar that he was originally in and, and then mm-hmm. was something that he felt very insulted by for a long time until he developed friends and uh, deep relationships on Deep Space Nine. And, and now it is something that he feels uh, proud of and feels identified with. There's an urgency at work here, which is the urgency of running out of time to tell someone that you like all the things you want to tell them. Like, this is a thing that Kira actually did at the end of the episode before this, and now it's being uh, visited on her now. Yeah, the plane is going down, and there are only moments left. Yeah, I mean, she's the she's the Vedic Burial in this scene, and Odo is the Kira. It's so interesting that these two episodes are right next to each other. Yeah. The Nag-heavy storylines, the Kira-heavy storylines, the idea that somebody that uh, is beloved is going away. And that's that's the really intense thing in this scene. And it's a scene that I think would be so much more effective if it wasn't broken up by a commercial break. Yeah. Like there's a fade out and fade back up when you watch it on streaming that I really feel like it harms the effectiveness of the scene. I'm telling you to- Take the runabout. Get the hell off this phone. That's order. It's back. Big is back. Because bigger is better. 6,000 SUX. An American tradition. I don't really know the solution to the puzzle because television is always trying to give you a moment of suspense to keep you through the commercial break. I think the solution is just like not having commercials, you know. But uh, Sure. The scene, I think, would be such a great, like, it's a solid five minutes of them talking back and forth, but you've got to watch, like, an Arby's commercial in the middle of it. (laughs) We have the meats. (laughs) Odo is taken to his knees with the confession of his love for Kira. And then immediately after, Kira... She's like, I wish I could also get to my knees, but I'm stuck in this rock. Kira says that she's in love with him too. Yeah. What? And that clangs in retrospect, but in the moment, like she plays it so sincerely and and it is like the only thing he wants to hear. She almost works against what that line represents because her performance is so strong. Yeah. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Nog having comported himself well. Uh, comes back to Commander Cisco. Cisco uh, chucks the sack of latinum at him. And then he kind of does something that famously what a rabbi does if a Gentile comes and says they want to convert to Judaism. 
which is he uh, he says you don't really want to do that, I'm, and I'm not going to help you. That's a that's a famous thing. Yeah, <laughs> people know that. I didn't yeah. know that. It's a it's a major storyline in Sex in the City, Adam. <laughs> when Shardog tries to convert. My name is Charlotte York, and I'm here today because I would like to consider joining the Jewish faith. We're not interested. I don't remember that. I thought you were familiar with all of Kyle McLaughlin's work. I remember shooting the episodes. I, I don't remember much about the stories. <laughs> Cisco really challenges him here. Come on, Nock, tell me. Why is it so damned important that you get into Starfleet? Why are you doing this? It's a real, I learned it by watching you, Dad, kind of breakdown, right? Like, Cisco breaks Nog here. Yeah. Because Cisco negs the shit out of him. Yeah, and Nog has to prove his commitment to the idea. I need to report a very rude man. I was just saying that my name is Charlotte York, and I would like to consider joining the Jewish... And his commitment comes from a place of real pathos. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to be a loser like my dad, is basically the motivation. This is such a great scene. It's a scene between someone that we know to be one of the great actors in Star Trek, like Avery Brooks is not only just a great actor on his own, but like other actors love Avery, Avery Brooks as an actor. Like he's he's like on the mountain of Star Trek actors. Yeah. The scene was so uh, amazing to me that I, I did a little bit of research and I was like, what is the story here? The guy who plays, uh, the guy who plays Nog is- Aaron Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Is Aaron Eisenberg. And he said this is his favorite scene of his entire acting career. And it's because when you act across Avery Brooks, he is so generous as a performer that like he's shooting actor eyes into your eyes that like wow. make you raise your game. And I guess the moment where Avery Brooks grabbed him and like shook him and was like, why do you want to do that? Like that was not in the script. That's wow. Avery Brooks knowing what Eisenberg needed in that moment as a gift like he's giving that moment to Aaron Eisenberg as an actor and, and like making him react emotionally to something there that he never would have done spontaneously. And so when he looked back on his career, he's like, that's the moment like where I became an actor, like for real. Like that's my favorite part Incredible. of my career. Yeah. And you it, can see it. It's a hell of a scene. I mean, it's it it comes rushing like a, like a broken dam, you know, like it comes rushing down saying... You know, my dad is great at something, but it does it is not the thing that you need to be great at to be considered a great Ferengi. And because he is trapped in this ideology, he is stuck pretending he is a businessman when he's really an engineer. And yeah. I don't uh, I I can see a future for myself where I live in that kind of ignominy and I don't want it. I want to be the best thing I can be. And if that doesn't line up with Ferengi values, then fuck it. There's such pathos in like being inspired not by something that's better than you, but instead by something that's worse. Yeah. And Nog really lives in it here. It's a great scene. Hell of a scene. And Cisco gives him the shot. Yeah, he's going to write that letter. So uh, presumably we'll get to see Nog take his Kobayashi Maru test at some point. Where's Nog going to wear his badge, you think? Right on his dick. <laughs> that's that's pretty low, Ben. I don't know. <laughs> that might be too low. I mean, like, but 
in terms of like real inches, right where Cal Hudson had it. <laughs> We're talking about nothing but real inches on this show. Yeah. Back on the moon base, Kira is now face deep in the crystal. Yeah. And the things that she has said to Odo have made him suspicious of their circumstances. He's starting to have one of those usual suspects style realizations where he looks at the phaser blast behind Kira inside the rock. He starts thinking a little bit more about why she told him that she loved him. Stuff's not adding up like with, with respect to the Mayquis. And then he starts like lashing out at her. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting scene because they've been peppering hints of this in a few times like where he said i don't get what's going on here and then they kind of abandoned the feeling that he has identified something that he should be suspicious of in order to comfort kira but now he has identified a pattern and he's saying like this doesn't make any sense you you lied to me when you said the mayquis shot at you like i'm looking at at the angles and there's just no way that those scorch marks from the phaser happened if he was standing where you said he was standing. And also you lied to me when you said you loved me. And again, Adam, second episode in a row, somebody calls a Bajoran a human. He says, I'm, I study human nature and I saw that you lied to me in that moment. I find that remark insulting. This is 1995. We know find and replace exists. Yeah. All references to the H word should be expunged from this dialogue. And he says humanoid all the time. Just have him say, I study humanoid nature. It's something he says so often, you could probably do it in post. Like, right. just add the, like, like loop it. Get the OTS shot and drop that yeah. clip in, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Well, Odo does something that we almost never see him do, which is he raises a gun on Kira. And uh, she gets a big SEG, and then she morphs into change leader. (laughs) So change leader's plan was to make Odo think Kira had died. Change leader is by far the worst name for a character that I've ever coined. It's so much worse than Ram Yarlin. And yet Female Changeling is the name of the character on the show, which is worse. Wor- worse than Change Leader yeah. by a yeah. country mile. <laughs> Her nefarious plan is to make Odo think Kira had died and thus give him nothing to stay on DS9 for so that he'd return to the great golden shower in the sky. She also thought that she could kind of get to the bottom of what was what has been motivating him to not join the Great Link. And uh, yeah. she suspected that Kira was a part of it. And now she knows that Odo sweats Kira big time. Yeah, which might be the most dangerous information that that she has on him. Yeah, it's a pretty great dun-dun-dun. Of all the ways that Odo has been hurt on this show... Her saying she's never going to love you as he walks away is just one of the worst. Yeah. That is fucking rugged. It's it's really rugged. It's a classic changeling technique at this point to trick people mm-hmm. into shit while keeping them in caves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it also like this this whole sequence, like if you play it back in your head, like this Will really... you help me get this couch into this cave? <laughs> <laughs> just just get in the cave and help me help me push it to the back. Don't worry, I'll lower some lotion down to you. 
<laughs> this whole episode, like he's been like scanning her and like bombarding her with sounds or something. It really yeah. reveals that she is like incredibly powerful because she fooled him for Kira plus Rock and also fooled the tricorder. Like he was yeah. scanning her and stuff. Yeah. It makes it, it all red as normal. It means that she is like a billion times better at changeling than he is. And at, also phaser proof, right? Because they shot her as a rock. And... Well, she shot herself as a rock, though. Oh, right. So, oh, see, that's uh, that's tapping the side of your head meme right here, there. Yeah, this is well. Here, I'm gonna galaxy brain you. Was he really <laughs> holding a phaser at the end, or was that a piece of her? Is her technique so strong that she can break parts of herself away? Yeah, like if he'd run down the tunnel and caught the Mayquis, would it have been a part of her? Wow. I love that. I love that she's that strong in her powers. Well, uh, he runs and finds Kira in a stasis box and uh, rescues her. And then uh, back on the station, they have a uh, a brief conversation where, uh, you know, like the story he has told her is not the whole truth because he cannot reveal the torch he bears for her. Yeah, I mean, she's impressed at the story that, that she knows about, which is that he inferred that his circumstances weren't real. Yeah. He's like, but, I knew that she wasn't really Bajoran when I asked her how many glasses she wanted, and she held up her thumb, forefinger, and middle finger, and not her index finger, her middle finger, and her ring finger. <laughs> I mean, it's natural to be curious about the thing that either does or does not give you away as your real self. Yeah. She does not interrogate this any further, though. No. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. The button on the episode is a uh, is a Ferengi hijink scene. It is Quark condemning and forbidding Nag for uh, having attempted to join Starfleet, and uh, and it seems like Quark is kind of in charge of Nag in this scene, and then. Rom kind of jumps in and shuts Cork's shit down. He's like, you know, you might be the uh, owner and boss of this bar, but I'm the I'm the the dad of that boy, and I give him my blessing. And Cork uh, kind of throws his hands up, and and uh, there's a very sweet moment between Nag and Rom at the end, where you know Nag's the whole thing motivating Nag to get into Starfleet was a feeling that his father was inadequate or a failure or a person he did not want to emulate. And Ram shows a tremendous strength in this moment that makes him a much more complicated character than just a the, the punching bag that he could have been if this was not as well written as it is. Yeah, I never thought it would be possible for Ram to elicit emotion from me through action or emotion of his own and he totally does this is a great scene for him uh, yeah it's like like he has been such a punchline the entire yeah. time and suddenly it's like oh shit like he actually has a lot to offer in terms of like his emotional truth but did this episode have a lot to offer you ben in a did you like it kind of context <sighs> boy uh there's a lot fun about this episode. It's a pretty lean episode. It's really, I mean, you know, just just dragging my uh, my pointer along the timeline. Like so much of it is just a scene between Odo and Kira. Yeah, and they are two great actors that 
are, you know, really playing to their strengths in these scenes in a way that I think is fun and great. It's a bit of a directed by M. Night Shyamalan twist ending that is not that <laughs> satisfying in the way of like, okay, we've seen the, the M. Night Shyamalan twist ending four times. Are we really going for a fifth dude kind of yeah. way? Yeah. And um, I think that the powers of the changelings that are established in this episode uh, present a real danger to Star Trek writers because you can have deus ex machinas coming out of your butt if you're not careful from here on in. So I would say that it's a soft like for me, but also I am worried about Mm. changeling shenanigans going forward. How about yourself? I like the episode for the same reasons. I think I love that it's an episode that uh, it's about like grappling with who you are and what choices you have about, you know, what you become based on that. Uh-huh. Like in it with two very different people with very different perspectives. Like Nog doesn't want to stay on the on the street that takes him to a conclusion that is predictable and sad. And then Odo is resisting the pull of a thing that he so far has been successful in resisting. Yeah. And so they're they're sort of like they're symmetrically opposed in an interesting way. And you couldn't pick two more different characters to embody those feelings. Yeah. So I thought it was a strong app. I just wish it felt a little more dangerous. Like yeah. when it's time to feel danger, I didn't feel true danger. Like I wanted more alone time with Kira because I think whether or not it's actually her, the moments where we're supposed to believe that, I think it would be good to be alone with her and alone in that fear. And all we ever see of her is with Odo and Odo uh, Odo makes you feel safe when you're with him as a character. That's That's sort of what he does. But like... What if they discovered that the entire cave was filled with cocooned aliens that were there previous to Kira's situation? Like that is in right. That's the that's TNG in, version of this story. Is like there are crystals that have killed thousands that have come down here before, and we're gonna have to be the first people to figure out a way out of this. Yeah, TNG played with the scale of a problem a little differently in a way that I might have appreciated more here. But uh, episode still worked though. Yeah. And I like a version of Odo that's motivated by love. Like, and that is a very strange motivation for him to try on. So, I mean, there are some things that I hope that are taken away from this. I love that they've name checked Odo's relationship with Kira now. Like, we've seen it implied heavily so far, and now it's come out of his mouth. Yeah, it's true. It's real. It's real if someone says it. He is the Sam to her Diane, you know? Yeah. Let's see if a Sam or Diane has sent in a Priority One message, Ben. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first message is for Joe, and it is from Mike. It goes like this. Dental plan. Did the call drop? Did your... <laughs> no. That's the end of the message. It's a two-worder. It's a dental plan exclamation point is the entirety of the... I mean, they, they had 350 characters to, to use. They chose not to. Ben, I, I may be wrong, but I think that's a new record for <laughs> fewest number of words. 
Yeah. Two words and a and a and a punctuation is the new low. I mean, I feel like uh, at some point somebody's just gonna send a pre one that is just the word fuck. But uh, <laughs> but this is not that day. This is just the words dental and plan. No one would ever send a priority one message with that starts with the word fuck that doesn't end in plavim or raz though. Or bokai. Right. <laughs> Our second priority one message is from Kyle and Adria. The message is for Scott and Bess. The message goes like this. Oh, it's got a uh, it's got a script note here. It's got a parenthetical. It's got a Riley. Yeah, it says please read as Kevin. So here we go. I think Kevin's doing more of our messages than we are these days. <laughs> Scott and Bess, congratulations on your recent marriage. I know it was Doctor Who themed on the outside, but it was Greatest Gen themed in our hearts. <laughs> May the love between you always be stronger than my love of vengeance against the Hooshnock. <laughs> Please contact me if you should need a couple's real dough. Whoa. you're quite reasonable. Wow, what would a couple's real doll look like? Like, would it just be conjoined? There would or be, would it be, like, some attributes of one and some attributes of the other? I just think there would be holes and dicks aplenty, and it might not be even humanoid, necessarily. I like the idea that your real doll would be, like, a Cronenberg monstrosity of, like, just <laughs> dicks and assholes and vaginas. <laughs> Kevin yeah. would be like, what the frick is this? Why is does it have the joke? keyboard of a mechanical typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, I'm retiring. <laughs> Frick this shit. <laughs> oh no, Kevin, don't go. You're the star of our show. We can't do P1s without Kevin, and uh, we can't do the show without you. Yeah, you go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to buy a Priority One message. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial. And it's a great way to uh, support the production of this program. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. 
That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Adam, I have a quick question here. Make it snappy. Do you have a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I do have a drunk Shimoda, Ben. My drunk Shimoda is Ben Sisko, who seems to be getting more latitude on DS9 than any other commanding officer we've ever seen. <laughs> and I kind of like it. There is a process for incoming Starfleet cadets. Sure. But Sisko has the latitude to put Nog to the test. He's able to plant him on a SETI alpha planet to see if he grows. Like he's <laughs> he's way off in the country able to to make these decisions even when people like Dax argue against them. Yeah. So I think I think for the ability to be a a chaos agent for good even I think Cisco's going to be my Shimoda for this episode. What about you? It doesn't play a large role in this episode, but my drunk Shimoda is Chief O'Brien. And, uh, you know, Shimoda is a character that's having a great time. And the fun hangs that O'Brien is reputed to have gotten into in this episode really make me like him. Like, he is he is kayaking. He's, like, out there making friends, inviting people to do things. Like, he's really uh, he's really making himself vulnerable and, and, uh, and forging new friendships. And the fact that... He and Odo are like exchanging literature to read and and going on kayaking adventures together. Just makes it seem like Chief O'Brien is a real fun dude. He's trying. In yeah. the absence of Keiko, he's trying to make new friends. I think that's good. 
it's something I admire. You know, I'm uh, I've uh, I've been living in Los Angeles for about a year, and uh, I think I need to take a page from O'Brien's book. Like, get out there, make some new friends. Yeah, find some people to do bits with. Yeah, just don't become closer friends with them than me. Can <laughs> have a real problem. Yeah, our podcast could get a, a real strain on it. I'm very possessive, and if you start doing podcasts with all these new friends you're making, that's going to be a problem for Greatest Gen. Because you won't have enough time. <laughs> Adam, one thing I do have time for is playing a board game where we learn about the next episode we're going to watch, and then we determine how we are going to watch it. That's right, Bennett. Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. Uh, our runabout is currently on square 33. It is, uh, it's not an orbit of Philippa Louvois's head, but it's, uh, it's, it's proximate to that head. Yeah, it's also proximate to a Quark's bar, which could be uh, which could be a big deal. Uh, it could be the yeah. first Quark's bar since we unveiled the the new version of the board game, which can be viewed at gach.biz/game. Why don't you tell me what episode we're going to be watching? Okay, the episode that is coming up, Adam, is Deep Space Nine, season three, episode fifteen, Destiny. Cisco is excited about working with two Cardassian scientists who are assigned to help deploy a subspace relay in the Gamma Quadrant. And if, uh, if that wasn't scintillating enough to entice you to watch that episode, another streaming service described it as, as follows. Cisco ignores an ancient Bajoran prophecy of doom <laughs> in order to undertake a joint scientific venture with the Cardassians. Hmm. Stakes is high here in the in the uh, yeah. other other streaming service. I've seen a lot yeah. of people. Uh, I mean, uh, we we we've already admitted that the first one we usually read is Netflix. Second mm-hmm. one we usually read is uh, Amazon Prime. I've I've uh, I've seen screen grabs of people like texting friends that work at Netflix. Like, what gives with your episode <laughs> descriptions for Deep Space Nine? And like the friends texting pack, like, oh, I'm gonna whip this this team into shape and get on it. So uh, it's possible that uh, that these protestations that we've put out there are uh, are being heard, but uh, no evidence. I have evidence. a feeling that that's a low-level job, and I certainly hope that there are not actual whips being uh, employed yeah. in, in making that situation better. Yeah, and I don't really w- want to be doing bits when tips are on the line, so I hope it's not a tipped position <laughs> at Netflix that writes episode descriptions. I mean, I'm not much for a whip, but I uh, I could get into a nay-nay. <laughs> <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Adam, do you want me to roll this virtual bone? Do it, please. Oh man, I have jumped over both Philippa and Quark. I've rolled Whoa. a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I thought for sure we were gonna get one of those. I'm on uh, I'm on square 37, Adam. It's a regular old episode. Safe and sound. I feel like probability is working differently this season. Yeah, I think so too. What the hell is going uh, on here? There is still plenty of board left, and, and not only that, plenty of space buttholes to drag us back down to the bottom. That's true. The lion's share of the space buttholes are still ahead, and one of them yeah. is in, in rolling distance. So right. that could happen. Well, one of the things that makes us feel safe and happy are the myriad friends of DeSoto. 
Friends of DeSoto especially that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and help support the show. Uh, that's one of the great things you can do. Um, you can also uh, leave a nice review on whatever podcast app you use, especially Apple Podcasts. Uh, nice reviews on there help us rise in the algorithmic ranks and uh, get the show in front of other people who might not have heard of it. And speaking of people who might not have heard of it, uh, tell a friend about our show. That's also one of the best ways there is to... Uh, Help grow the show and uh, and and build this big tent that is the Friends of DeSoto. Yeah, that's analog help, right? Yeah, that's that's old school help in the show. Do it both ways, you know. Show your uh, show your proficiency with both. Yeah, take a good shower and do it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should thank our buddy Adam Ragusea, who's made a ton of original music for the show. Of course, all inspired by the original. Picard song by Dark Materia, who uh, we also really appreciate. And uh, we should thank all of the folks that go online and tweet about the show using the hashtag GreatestGen and go and uh, join the Facebook and Reddit subs and Discord and Slack and all the all the different things out there that you can join. And also the uh, the Wikia, you know, the, the gang that keeps the Wikia going. There's a greatestgen.wikia.com that is a, a living document that unpacks all of the jokes that we make on these on these episodes. They like, you know, if you're like, what is that a reference to? What are what are they saying? Why are they mispronouncing Maquis? Like, they will explain it to you. Like, yeah. you don't have to tweet at us and go like, that's not how it's actually pronounced. Uh, you can go find out where that bit came from. You can find out where Six Bay came from. and uh, You could stop yourself from getting muted right now <laughs> by, by going over to those places. You sure could. Getting a little knowledge. Yeah. We, we would love to stop muting you. I just clicked on the Twitter as you were talking, Pen, and sure as shit, Bill Tilly has just posted brand new cards for an episode that just came out. Bill Tilly 1973 is his Twitter handle. Oh, man. Uh, Jokes on top of jokes with that guy's work, and I love him. I love him, too. I also love J.J. Lendl, who's been making great Juan Ortiz-level artistry movie posters for each episode of Deep Space Nine and using the hashtag GreatestGen to post them. Super fun to look at those. Uh, And he usually puts one up uh, on Sunday, like the the night before a new Greatest Gen episode comes out. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek deep space nine in an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine that removed the headstones but left the bodies MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.